Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, road and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. Build your reputation to be somewhere that people will want to go and work. People want to go and work in Google because they've got a little false kitchen with, you know, whatever, muesli bars in every drawer. <laughs> you know, it's just these little things. You've got to build a beautiful business and then get out there and talk about it so that people know they want to come and work for you, but also other people know how to also build a business that is totally feeding the people that work there. I am extremely excited to welcome back Maverick Nisha Katoner, the founder and CEO of Mowgli Street Food, a restaurant group that bring the great food Indians eat at home and on the streets. She's also often seen in TV sharing the secrets and hacks of cooking great Indian food. Today Mowgli have 15 sites across the UK and more are coming soon. Mowgli have been recognized and awarded for being one of the top 100 companies to work for in the UK. They've been on the Sunday Times Fast Track 100 list and Nisha herself received an MBE in 2019 for her services and great work in the food industry. And more impressive, as a company and team, they have raised more than £1.2 million for local charities. Last time, I sat down and had a conversation with Nisha in the early summer 2019. We had a great conversation about how she is building a company together with her team that gives more than it takes. And as you know, a lot of water have run through the river since. So the vision for this conversation was to understand how they during the last couple of years of challenges has been able to be living Mowgli's core purpose, which is Mowgli exists to enrich the lives in the city they go to the lives of their teams, their guests, and their communities. And Nisha underlines that purpose has been absolutely critical in the last couple of years' challenges. We also talk about graceful growth, talent and the staffing crisis, and how they ensure the right people practices in place to create an engaging team. Her own learnings as a CEO and founder in the last couple of years' storm and her prediction for the future of hospitality. Before you tune in, please sign up for weekly newsletter, Maverick Talk, which is packed with more Maverick insight, strategies and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. I would advise you to grab your notebook. There are some great insights and advice from a leader that together with a team are building a business that not only just makes great results, but also have a huge positive impact on all its stakeholders. I'm 100% sure if you just implement one thing from this conversation, you become either a better leader or company. Over to Nisha. I'm always super excited when I have to welcome Mavericks that has been on the show before. So about three years ago, about the same time as now, I think maybe a month earlier, I was in, in Liverpool interviewing Nisha in Water Street, in the restaurant. 
And that was in a very different world. It was pre-pandemic. And uh, a lot have happened in Mowgli since then. I think we we can say from what I've seen up from the for the outset. I think we almost doubled the estate, but we'll come back to that in a second. And you open in London. We had a conversation about London. I can remember. And then you coming to my hometown, Brighton. Very excited. So so with that said, welcome welcome back, Nisha. It's so good to be back, and it's interesting to come. Uh, to things like this because I don't actually lift my head up and look back and see how far we've come in three years so it's honestly when you just stood there and said to me three years ago you had seven sites and you didn't have an MB and you just life moves so quickly yeah it, you you could get um, vertigo actually if you look up you just keep your head down <laughs> and work. so these are the few little moments in life where you actually do get to look up and enjoy talking about the uh, the industry with a, another fellow hospitality lover uh, I think I think yeah, it's it's a great opportunity to reflect. That's also what I've seen when when other people have come back the the second time. Think, wow, did all that happen in mm. in, in so little time? But uh, I think this time we will not go into to the detail of, of Mowgli. But I think we should start with about just what's happened the last three years. About you know, you started Mowgli because you wanted to present an offer that how Indians eat at home and in the street. And what's happened? Then the pandemic hit in 2020 what's happened in Mowgli and how did you manage that journey and how many sites now and what's coming up well just if we if we, if we helicopter right up and I opened my 16th site about three days ago in Preston <laughs> um, I'm you know we're in the process of building my 21st site so we're, we're moving at the pace that we've always moved at for me I hate saying it, but the pandemic year was the best year of my life. <laughs> it was it was the first time, I think, since the age of about seven that I actually stopped and had some time off. I've never, you know, that's what mm. I was raised to study. So, I, you know, of course, yeah. I was a barrister. So you studied all your life. You work, 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 work. And it was the first time I stopped for a year because somebody forced the toys out of my hands. And I had to discover things like walking and, you know, walking the door at the countryside, you know, walking on beaches and things like that. So the quality of life was grafted in mm. to my into my existence for the first time really isn't that crazy I'm 50 yeah. about time I found out about quality of life so so that's what happened during the pandemic year yeah. what is also extraordinary is we didn't lose a single human and uh, what makes me really excited is that we came back and I think it's just redoubled our love for our people and our people's love for us because we stood by them we honoured them we shut a week before we had to and paid them in full just mm. praying that the right thing the government would do the right thing and they did with furlough yeah. But, you know, we put our head above the parapet and really, I remember thinking I wouldn't want my own teenagers working in a restaurant when there's this kind of a pandemic. So it's very easy to make those moral, I just realised that, you know, our moral rudder is everything. Mm. It's very easy to make those moral decisions. And um, and what I love about being a CEO is you make that decision by, you know, by midday and it's implemented across the sites by five o'clock. So this is what's so great at being at the helm of your own business, really. Um, so, so, yes, we're building as we were. Um, and do you know what's really interesting is that it's that sense of purpose. So Mowgli exists only, only, only primarily to enrich lives in the cities that she goes to, starting with our people. And when you don't have restaurants and you're not peddling curry, you, for those years, you know, the, the lockdown years, if we can call them that, you are paired back to that fundamental, which is enriching the lives of your people. How do you do that when you don't even have a physical presence anymore on the high streets? And when you can do that remotely, you know, where we're in constant contact with them remotely, then once you are back open with the restaurants, suddenly that becomes so much more of a joy and so much easier. And it really recalibrates you. So that is our central pillar. It's very interesting that you're very honest to say I, I, I took some time out with 
I have never done. Have you been able to maintain that? Like, as no, a, no. I wanted to. I really wanted to try. There's always. I, I, I tell you what the thing is. So I'm I'm a founder CEO. Mm. So it's not a job for me. This is your life. I think yeah. if you were drafted in as a CEO with a salary. That your CEO salary, <laughs> as opposed to a founder salary, you know what I mean. You, um, it's it's a bit easier. But for me, um, it is very very hard to. If my my view is, if my if my people are working, I'm working. So you know, when I came in, I told you. So I was up filming at five this morning, but the restaurant reports come in at one o'clock in the morning. And my view and and so that I've not had a day off in eight years in that way, apart from during COVID. So I will stay up until one and read all my reports. It's, re- it's really important because while they're working, I'm working. That's how I, it's just how I operate. And that's, I think, I think being, it's quite uniquely a founder CEO thing that, you know, yeah. it's like one of your children, you know, my, one of mine was out, she's 18, she was out partying in Liverpool last night and I was in London and I, I wouldn't sleep until I could see on fine my friends that she was back home. Yeah, of You course. know, it's exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. So, so no, I haven't been able to get that, that um, free time back. But honestly, I, I need to. I need to find a way to uh, do that a little bit more. I'm not saying that with this laboured breath, like, you know, it's mm. killing me because actually for me, this job is not work in a way. It doesn't feel like work. It is an absolute joy. But I do think it's important that just to do that walking thing, because I eat a lot of food <laughs> all the time. It is why I live. <laughs> As I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about where I'm going to go and eat straight after this. is yeah. a lovely croissant shop across the road. But, you know, I've got to look after my body as well. And, and so I've got to start being really disciplined. I've started typing into the odd hour in my diary, keep off. Ah. And that's just for the odd hour. Can mm. you imagine? Because my meetings are now sort of every 15 minutes, half an hour, yeah. which is crazy at the moment. And I guess that just that you're aware is the the first step because I think most founders, CEOs, and some CEOs in in the world we live in now, there's not much time to shift uh, that time in. You really have to to work and graft for that as yeah. well. Do you have other ways actually then? Because the reality, the you know, the, the brutal reality is that's how it is. My mom was founder. Of, I'm a founder in, in in a business, and I know how it is. It's a life. It's not mm. Monday to Friday. It's an energy that comes. Do you have other things how you actually get, you know, around getting energy and recuperate as well so you don't just run? Yeah, so the lull in my life comes between about 7.30 and 10 p.m. And that's when there will be a lull in my life. And I've got four horses and I've got dogs. So this is not, this is a, and we've just moved to a bit of a small holding kind of thing. So suddenly the horses are on my land. So I honestly will just go out, Uh, try and get a ride in. At least you're grooming. At least you're doing something outside physically where you have to, whatever the weather, you know, whatever the weather, it can be a blizzard, but you are out there in a, you know, in whatever those massive raincoat or whatever. Mm. Um, So that, that's one thing I read a lot, you know, at night I listen Mm. to audio books. I read whenever I can. Mm. Um, you know, so train journeys or whatever. I'm audio booking if I'm not reading, so I'm, I'm very voracious in that way. And it's not like somebody was asking me today, do I meditate? And I just honestly, it, it is an extraordinary thing. It's not like I want to escape from mm. from being CEO. It's not as though I want to escape from the job. It is an absolute joy. It's yeah. crazy, isn't it? But then when you you know you overlay upon your life, so you're running the business. You've got 700 staff. I've also got two teenagers. Um, you've got, you know, I've got dependent elderly relatives. It's all of that as well. I am the cooker. If I want to eat, I've got to go home and cook. If my kids want to eat, I've got to go home and cook. It's all of that. that, that those are <laughs> the things with being the chef in the house, you know. Yeah. I mean, my husband can cook, but I wouldn't want to eat it, really. 
<laughs> so it's, it's well, we'll yeah, hope he's not yeah. listening <laughs> he certainly isn't <laughs> he couldn't give a stuff <laughs> he's a guitarist so he's sort of all over the world playing his guitar yeah so um yeah it's it's so i'm still the housekeeper as well yeah. all yeah. of those things um it's interesting so over the especially as the podcast involved and I've interviewed founder CEOs they all talk about like you know they don't meditate many of them maybe some of them have meditation practice but they're looking for that stillness that moment of actually as you say disengage with life going doing something else physically and most of them have a physical activity if that's walking in nature running reading and actually you just get the phone away and the laptop away and actually just recharge that stillness as well so the still meditation so i think that stillness is key and i was lucky to read a book when i had a little week off in early july in italy and it's called uh, stillness is key by ryan holiday it's about stoic and ancient eastern philosophy about how to actually create moments of stillness and to have built to have a churchill in there and many 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 great people through history about they were seeking that small moments of and then they accumulated that over the day they actually had time off mm. but they didn't see it as a job they saw it as a vocation mm. as you talk about coming back to, to vocation and you translated your vocation I can hear the purpose is still the same mm. enrich people's life in the cities you arrive in and especially your staff so how have you kept that alive as you've gone through a very difficult time and actually doubled the business um So through the difficult time, I tell you what's quite interesting about that, and I think it helps that in tandem I'm I'm raising sort of children at home that are the same age as my many of my teams, you know, is they wanted to be in contact. So the beginning of lockdown, they wanted to be in contact. You needed to show them that we are absolutely there for you. So we had weekly calls where the GMs would speak to every single member of the team, particularly the chefs who come from this slightly more military disciplined way of life. Mm. For them to lose that routine, a lot of them really struggled with their mental health. So, you know, we had help on hand, GMs constantly checking in. We then, you know, we've got our internal sort of Facebook pages, our internal social media, and people were, you know, we'd encourage them to share what they're doing, what walks they were doing, what they were doing with their pets, what they were cooking, so lots of that. And then, you know, it dragged on for so long, you realise that in fact, they'd found their feet, we were still there for them, but they, they sometimes felt a bit of pressure, you know, you were conscious that they might feel we wanted to see them post, we don't, we just want to see them happy. So it softened a little bit, they got on with their lives. And what they knew is that when you when this is over, you're, you're going to have your job back, you will have your hours back. It's, so there was a lot to look forward. So that's what we did is, you know, we opened and they came back. In fact, we, you know, du- during the sort of nominal lockdown periods, we opened London, we opened Ch- two restaurants, Cheshire Oaks, mm. and all the wires is that training kind of thing going on as well. So, um, you know, we were we were still very much alive and, and kicking in many ways, even during lockdown, just on through the through the airways, through the ether. Mm. So there was always that spirit of um, engagement. We didn't lose our engagement. And then, you know, the way. So remember that each Mowgli has got a charity champion. Each Mowgli has yeah. got a sustainability sergeant. Um, so we as soon as we hit the ground running, yes, they're fed. You know, our people, we want them to feel purposeful, nourished and fulfilled. 
They need to understand what their career trajectory is and how they're going to get there, how we're going to help them. But I want them to feel nourished and fulfilled in every way. And that's where the charities come in. That's where sustainability work comes in. So we started once we got back on our feet. We pledged to turn every Mowgli city into a sustainable palm oil city. What I want is I want to create a body of people that are armed, eloquent, passionate ambassadors for whatever and and that whatever for a lot of people of that generation is sustainability is saving the planet mm. so what we do is we work alongside Chester Zoo we train up our people so that they go into our cities and they convert 30, 40, 50 other businesses to pledge to use only sustainable palm oil. And what happens is these people walk taller. They're being trained. They're being armed. They they may leave Mowgli. I would hate them to because Mowgli is a place for a career. But, you they, you know, they might go and work for, for the UN or whoever. But I want them in the way that you'd want it for your own loved ones. You yeah. want them to be fully rounded people. So... It's amazing because it lifts their head out of the mire. So, yes, they do the the day job, but also they're being educated on sustainability, on charitable giving, on all of those limbs, you know, that our charities bring bring to people. And and so having edits and directives like that imposed, I'm imposing sort of upon the business, it really helps them, you know, but it helps them achieve something that's a much bigger end. And uh, I looked at the website. I can see now you raised more than a million pounds. Yeah, is that correct? Over, for, yeah, nearly a million and a half. Through through the restaurants mm. and then the work done is incredible. So well done on that. And now the sustainable angle as well. Last time we talked as well, um, you didn't call it this, but what I got out of it was like you have also a pursue that you know you understand your purpose, you get it out living, and it feels like the pandemic almost has elevated your purpose and people really believe maybe internally even more in that's that's really our purpose and we live it no matter what hits us do you then feel also you had that piece about you know to be able to lift this purpose we need to deliver a certain level of mastery and i was like what i hear between the line like we have to create the dishes like paracetamol every time we need to show up make sure the rooms look as they should i think you call the map Mapper, so you've got an amazing memory. It's so good of you to remember that, yeah. And then you had contentment yeah. conversations, yeah. something contentment that left me as well. Yeah. And then you also had your you talk on social media mm-hmm. to make sure that it's the the true, yeah. authentic yeah. voice yeah. of Mowgli because yeah. you were translating yeah. she, as yeah. I remember you talked as well. Yeah. H- have you been able to see that mastery elevate over these three years? It's, I guess that's been a pandemic. Can you feel that you're getting stronger? To, to master I, I can tell you that it's working mm. so so in terms of the aspirations behind so, so remember Mowgli is built on three pillars it's been built on our people our product and our place mm. our people it's the contentment assessments how do we make sure that our people are feeling purposeful nourished fulfilled we have contentment assessments where we go and interview every single member of te- of the team and find out how they feel about the business. So we know whether actually what we're aiming to do, we are succeeding in, and we are. The contentment assessments are incredible. In fact, one of the one of the Achilles heels, one of the things we weren't doing enough of, was sustainability. Mm. You know, and that's why I then started thinking. Well, you actually seem to know my kids more about this than I do. So 
I'm going to appoint a sergeant within one of you to become a sergeant within each restaurant. Tell me what we should be doing. Tell me where you see a, a deficit on site and let me know and we'll change that. You know, we got rid of the, the tur- turtle strangling plastic, you know, from Australia. We wrote to them and they stopped doing that now. Mm. It's things like that. So these, and, and this really empowers you're getting this information from within the business. And then within place, you know, it was maps so Mowgli Aesthetics Police. Mm. It's very easy to build new restaurants with a load of capex. Very easy. You should be judged on your oldest restaurant and how tired and jaded that is. When your old estate starts feeling tired, there is something wrong at the top. So that's why I have this the, these internal polices that mm. go and make sure the grout's clean everywhere, that there's not a single fairy light out, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so I know that it's working. So when you say mastery, I think that the, the mastery was finding a diagnostic tool for each one of these things that I wanted to achieve mm. and actually humbly listening to the data that tells me whether we're working or not. And what we are doing is so far it seems to be working. But I'm telling you, sustainability, we weren't doing, you know, two years ago, we were not doing enough. Mm. And that's why I brought this thing in, you know. Um, so so it's not that it's changed. I think what's really important in this business is that once you've got that matrix upon which you build a business, you know, those that skeleton, those foundations, people, product, place. Mm. Just for entrepreneurs out there who want to start restaurants, find a way to work out whether you're actually doing it. And if you're not, and you're not humble enough to understand that you're not doing it and how to change it, step down. <laughs> Honestly, find, bring people in that know how to fix it. Um, but what's very encouraging about this industry is that it can be broken down into something so forensic. You can, you can build it, you can analyze it. You know, it's like Meccano, it's like, Le- like Lego. And yet at the heart of it are human emotions. And what I love about it is that it really works. It, you know, our staff contentment seems to be great. Our relationship with our teams is great. We don't lose people. Our attention is is extraordinary. So, you know, in the, the the high eighties, nineties, we've got you know seven hundred roles. We've got three vacancies. That's extraordinary. So that business about ability to recruit hasn't hit us because honestly, we live to make our people's lives a joy. Uh, and that's a, just a nice way to to build any kind of business, isn't it? It's yeah. so encouraging. And I guess then a, a business become a force for good. And one of the things we, we talked about last time where um, I didn't ask you this question directly, but when I was looking back in the notes and, and listening a bit, we talked a bit about the power of systems. And in principle, what you've taken with these uh, three pillars here or four pillars with sustainability now is that you systemize that mm-hmm. and that you build your training your learning around that and people become better doing their jobs and they can then see when the report comes mm-hmm. I become better because mm-hmm. of my behavior or the learnings I got from my training and thereby suddenly it becomes very tangible something and, and I think it's often it's misunderstood and there's more more founders have said that like systems is not just about clean tables or not exactly about that behavior you want to master to create the Mowgli experience in your existence. Do you see the same? Like oh, system gosh. is critical for you guys. Absolutely right. And you are absolutely absolutely right to say that at the heart of your system should be those that emotionally construct you, your teams. Because if you, it's as simple as this, if you have happy teams, you've got clean tables, you've got people that you know waiting for that door to open, you've got people that are checking back for drinks, you've got happy chefs, you know, people who've got, you know, just diversity of life down in the kitchens where they're not effing and blinding and yes, yes, chefing and all of that absolute 
masculine bollocks that goes on. Do you know what I mean? I'm sorry, yeah. but it makes me yeah. so angry, so angry. Um, you know, where you've got people that feel fulfilled and really, you know, this kitchen full of love, really. Your food is delicious. So, and that that's it. That's what you're judged on. You know, that's where the numbers come in. How do you judge success by the numbers, actually? Because the numbers tell you whether your chefs are happy, whether your people are happy, whether the tables are clean, whether the service is on point, all of that. The whole of the customer journey distills that down to that. Are they coming all the time? Are you busy? <laughs> you know, you're only busy because you're only as good as your last curry and your last service. That That's the point. So what what's great is that you don't need to. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I always say I'm quite young to this business. I've only been doing it eight years. You know, I was never in business. I was never in hospitality. I've not got another restaurant in me. It's Mowgli and then that's it. Mm. You know, it's, then it's geraniums and, you know, whatever. Anti-inflammatories is what, how I see my <laughs> my life. So, so. Um, but what's great for for anyone listening who wants to build a restaurant is you can build it on those things that really resonate with you. Those emotional things, those things that are just delicious about life: food, happiness, smiles. You know, making people feel worthy, making them feel elevated, walk taller. It's very interesting. We're saying we had a uh, Sean Eskinosi from Eskinosi Chocolate in the U.S. on the podcast some some weeks ago, and he talked about like he came as a he was a criminal defense lawyer. Uh-huh. Translate that into make chocolate. He made yeah. chocolate his vocation, and his vocation is now his individual vocation. It seems like you talk in the same way has been translating into a business where again there is some pillars he manage. And these pillars are the one that creates the behaviors and the results you want to see. He said, I don't start with the sales. If the sales are wrong, I don't analyze why the sales is wrong. I go back and look at my systems and find out what is wrong with my system, why they're not picking it up. And then you can say, what is wrong? Why won't the people use the system right if they work? It seems like a similar kind of way you are managing the growth mm. and the scaling of the purpose mm. as well. So interesting, you know, because, yeah, because I was a barrister, wasn't I, for 20 years. And as a, as a barrister, it sounds crazy. Yeah, it, it does matter. So I was doing child protection. Mm. And it's the result matters. The result has got to be what's best for the child. But actually what matters is you are meeting people at the lowest point of their life. And it's the process and how wounding the process. We were in the business of removing children. You are meeting people who are divorcing and losing their children to the other half. You know, domestic abuse, all of that. It's the process. It's really, really important. So, yes, the result matters at the end of the day. Um, and in particular in a criminal trial, you know, it's that whole... Pre- you look at the Johnny Depp Amber Heard, actually mm. it didn't matter who won. What we knew is that, sadly, because I think Johnny Depp is a bit of a beast in this, but, mm. you know, Johnny Depp, you know, was was left triumphant through the process and she was annihilated through the process. It's, it's all of that. So it's quite right. So we're not kind of... And it's a moral thing, you know. You, if you sit there staring at the bottom line, it desiccates your soul a bit. Mm. If your product, this is the point. Before you even step into business, you know, look at your product. Is your product world beating, sector beating? Is it unique? Are you uniquely gifted in the creation of that widget? That you know. And this is what I do. I make Indian food for a living. That's what I've just been doing all morning since five in the morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. And if you've got faith in your product and that it is a worthy product, it's a healthy product, it's reasonably priced, all of those things, then you can lift your head, uh, you know, and start looking at the wider thing and just you can you can presume or you can sort of expect that the bottom line will come. You don't need to stare at it. You need to make look at how you can make ah, the world a better place with your chocolate or with your curry. And what's so great is that we can. That's why I'm so passionate about hospitality for that reason. You know, that's the other thing about lockdown is you realise... 
You know, when the world shut down, what we wanted more than anything was those lights to go back on the high street. We wanted mm. to go and eat out again. Yeah. This is such a massive employer. We want, you know, it's it's incredible. We realize the value of hospitality in our restaurants. Um, and in my view, how this is a place for a great career. I gave up a great career and this is a place for an even better career. Mm. What about, um, you know, developing and growing your people? Have that changed since you, you know, the, the infrastructure of the business probably have changed a little bit with doubling up in size, mm. I can imagine. Is, is that still the same tools you use? We do. I tell you what, we have a, you know, we have a dedicated, you know, L&D team, a top yeah. training team. Um, and it, what's important, and this is where you, you kind of, the pace of your growth is the fire that you hold your own feet to in a way. So we grow about four, five, six Mowgli's a year, say. Mm. Um, and the best way of doing it, so when I opened London, for instance, we brought about 20 members of the team from across the rest of the estate. But you can't, you know, you've got to develop people. They've got to be up and, you know, upwardly mobile through the business so that you can suddenly, you know, a server can become a, you know, a supervisor or whatever um, and come and take another city. So it's really important that that training is not just accelerated, but is really thorough. The worst thing you could do is open with relatively new management, relatively new management. And then the minute ops leaves, they think, hang on, hang on, you know, my parents gone out of the playroom, terrifying. So there's a real motivation for us as well to get people up to a level and get them operating at that level as supervisors, as assistant GMs, as GMs in other sites before we move them up and across. So, um, God, I'm so passionate about growth. Honestly, I realise that scalable businesses are mm. a gorgeous, gorgeous thing because of, because you create jobs and you create that upward mobility. It's very funny, you know, like this, this business of hospitality and restaurants, and I come from Liverpool, you know, and you go into, you can, it can be slightly afflicted by the small town mentality, which is, mm. oh, well, you're a chain. You know, it's as though it's something of an indignity, you know, but... <laughs> It's, it's ridiculous. This is what's so great about being a chain is I couldn't have, if I, 1.2 million pounds to charity, I couldn't have done that if I wasn't a chain. You know, 700 jobs, I couldn't do that if I wasn't a chain. Getting people to understand the virtuosity of tamarind when put together with coriander and, you know, how Bengalis cook at home. There's a lot to be said for growth, but it's also what it does to your people. You create jobs and you create um, promotion and seniority and all of these things that are so great for our industry. It's a perfect segue into what I wanted to ask you about because we talked a bit about last time and and the approach to growth and build a sustainable business exactly the way all stakeholders wins mm-hmm. and that's that's what you're touching yeah. on there. Have 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 you approached to to growth change because it seems like you have a quite graceful approach that you know four to six I know it's one a quarter mm-hmm. but compared to you look at others that might open 10 20 a year mm-hmm. and I'm often asking my, myself the question because I made the mistake myself opening too many how the hell are they doing that how they're getting there growing their people so fast which as you just said if you just leave people mm-hmm. in the deep end they will probably leave very quickly or yeah. burn out at some point yeah. because they didn't have the tools and the confidence mm. really to deliver the product mm. that's expected of them. Yeah. Gosh, it's very interesting because this comes back, this comes to brand as well. When you, you know, as you were, you were talking and you were talking about these people that grow things faster than us, 10, 20 sites a year, that, yeah. you know, pizza presses, probably that they're better than me. You know, they're probably better than I am. Mm. <laughs> but I don't, that's not Mowgli. Mowgli is shackled by, and I, I mean shackled in the best way, by me and my vision. And my vision is not for there to be a Mowgli on every street corner where I'm potentially cannibalizing. Mm. It's not that. She's got it to have this, oh gosh, you know, it's almost like a, 
slightly cultish thing you know it's it's this precious little place that feels like a family restaurant that you found on your high street you know things like my signage I'm bringing it down I'm designing it so it's much smaller so you're really having to sort of squint to think what is this building with the twinkly amber lights you know it's about uh, I don't I'm not a 10 or 20 restaurant kind of person it's it's um, at this pace at this stage of my life I think it's about sort of anything between you know, four and six, seven, potentially, you know, that's how um, there's still a lot of runway in this country. Mm. But there are a lot of cities now we're going to market time. So it's just very exciting. I'm just taking Beverly, for instance, which is a market town. It's the first ones we've done within that model. Um, Nutsford is another one that I'm looking at. We're looking at some things like Bury St. Edmunds, things like that, these smaller, you know, Richmond, which is London. So it's a whole different thing. But you know, when you start taking towns like that, it, it's really important. There, is, there are so many places that we could go, but I don't want to just go and inundate. So it's just not what Mowgli's about uh, at the moment. Do you have like some criteria or filters to make sure that you make these right decision? Because I guess there's a lot of offers. Because there's a lot of offers. Well. Yeah. yeah. So I, I source every single site. I, you know, I, I tend to know cities across the country because I've worked in most of them. So I know that Hull, if I was doing a case in Hull, you'd go and eat in Beverly or stay in Beverly. You know what I mean? So I know uh, Preston, for instance, I know exactly which corner of which street I want to be in in, in a lot of the country. So I, you go and then you feel, are they, are they very Mowgli? They need to fit. It's that neighborhood you know high street slightly quirky kind of feel um so glass boxes schemes i'm not passionate about really you know we do the odd one if they're particularly right for us cheshire oaks has been great for us because it's home turf um but my passion is for that high street model so i it's very visceral you walk into one and you feel that this could be a mowgli you know it's it's that brand sort of i direct Mowgli in, in sort of every creative way and the look of her sites that product people place the mm. look of her sites I'm absolutely all over that I want her sites to feel a certain way look a certain way so they never sort of look like a health centre Do you uh, do you feel that it, one of the, there's been a challenge in translating your vocation to the people as you've been growing again like because Mowgli grows doesn't she she doesn't stay just as Mowgli were when we met three years ago she gets a new identity like humans she evolves and becomes the things she needs to become mm. it's almost as though she's fledging you know what I mean in many many ways she's fledging and uh, you know it's I tell you it's interesting so for instance I do as you know I do absolutely all the social media I do there's we don't we've never hired anyone for marketing or for PR we've never advertised there's none of that it's still just me I am the exec chef and I'm not necessarily going to give that. I don't think anyone would want me to give that away because I'm on my fifth Indian cookbook. I don't think there's a person that I'd, I'd you know, want to come in and could teach me how to cook in that way. So there are certain things that I hold on to. But and I'm CEO, you know, I'm over the whole business. But there'll come a point, will there not, where she's so big that it might need certain things. It might be that we need to get, you know, a property director. We don't have a property director. It's great. You know, we go and pick our own sites. These massive hemorrhages that come out of your head office, we have a really nice lean head office. And it works really well. It's effortless. This is mm. effortless. We're inundated with sites. We t- we can, we've got our pick of sites at the moment, which is incredible. Um, we don't change the menu. The menu is me. You know, it's not like we have a constant changing menu where you, operationally it's an absolute nightmare. Um, but there'll they'll come a point, I think, where I've got to look and think, you know, do we need some assistance in these other certain areas? And we'll look at whether we bring in, mm. you know, someone more senior to the to, to the people team or whatever. But right now, um, 
I can feel that she's about to fledge. There'll be the next next phase where, you know, we go to market towns and suddenly we're growing at six or seven a year, say. Um, but right now it, it, it's fine. But I am constantly humble always to the fact that am I good enough? Do Are our team good enough? Are there people missing within this team? This isn't about scrimping and saving. This is really about when we open a restaurant like Preston, it's got to hit the ground running. You know, Preston, we opened and it was it's booked up for three, four months ahead. These people are being, you know, our teams are mm. busy, yeah. you know, and, and it's great. So it needs to really be a deep way of building a business. And you can't always do that in a, on, a, on a sort of being as, as tight as a gnat's chuff, which is what I can be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, 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 the interesting thing here is also how do you how do you envision that you will keep this? It feels like there's quite big transparency in the organization. There's there's people can find out what they want to know about how the business is doing, and also the people are involved. You just said with sustainability, you got the team involved to find solution on that. How do you make sure? Because like the classical way is to put structure in and then suddenly you have the Christmas tree instead of the bottom up effect mm-hmm. there is in a younger business mm-hmm. where the founder drives the values and there's, there's been mm-hmm. so many examples of where they lose that energy. Yeah, I, I build this business on the basis that there should be zero distance between head office and our furthest estate. Our, our, you know, our KP out in Brighton should feel as close to head office as, you know, my training manager or whatever. So if it's in our head and the way to do that is completely collaborate, you build this business, not just with our own people, but with the public collaboratively. So for in- so with our own people, for instance, we have an internal social media and they're all on it all the time. They can comment on any part of the business. They can come to me on this. Let's talk of the sustainability part of, you know, point. You know, they can come to me with any ideas that they've got on sustainability. We immediately start, you know, because they sometimes have some brilliant ideas. But it's like a good, healthy family where it's not, we, we won't always be able to do what you're suggesting. Don't take it personally, but we will promise to look at it. You know, so there is that direct to head office, there is that direct communication because we've got, you know, our, our internal kind of social media, which really, really helps. And then with the public, and, and here's what's interesting, because it's me doing social media, um, and, and if I was working for an organisation with a boss and that boss was on social media, I'd be on it. I'd be on it stalking and seeing what kind of a psycho it is that I'm working for, wouldn't you? You know. <laughs> so what happens is our people are very often on our social media. So yesterday I was working on website, you know, and just redesigning the website, and I was trying to work out what, what the opening page should look like. And it's for me a dilemma between the monkey, the door, because monkey, Mowgli's always got these ancient doors in, or a picture of the food. Couldn't work it out, so I put it out to social media, and we've had something like over 2,000 votes on you know, whichever the outcome is going to be. Really interesting. But our people vote as well. So even on these small details to do with the business, our people and the public as one are interested and they get to steer the way we run the business. It's really interesting. You know, I was thinking of getting rid of the cabbage dish. The sales on the cabbage dish had not been what I wanted. And it's an amazing dish. And I didn't understand why. It's our staff's favourite dish. So I was talking about getting rid of it on social media. Everybody got it, you know, on on internal social media. So many members of the team said, can you please not get rid of that? That's our favourite. So it stays on. You know, and and, and what's so lovely about that is when they then go and deliver that to a table, they can tell that story. And it's this socialistic way of building a business. It's really transparency is what we need to maintain. That transparency and that accessibility is what we need to maintain. That's, that's I think, one of, going to be one of the secrets to the, the long life of Mowgli. 
I think we will fall in love with cabbage because I come from from a nation where cabbage is well loved. It's just about how you you cook it, and when people taste cabbage, it's an incredible ingredient. It, so I'm yeah, sure, I'm sure yeah. it will it will boost yeah. here in in the plant based era of 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 life. Um, one of the things I was thinking about, I wanted to to touch with you as well. Uh, moving a bit away from from Mokla into the industry, what role does the food and drink industry plays in making the better world? You're now doing something for palm oil. Mm. You're helping local charities. Mm-hmm. You're very big into cancer, I know, as well. Yeah. Well, what, what role does food... Because we're already under pressure. Um, you mean financial pressure? Financial pressure. Every yeah. kind of pressure. Every financial kind of pressure. pressure. Well, he, here's the thing, isn't it? Uh, it's, you know, what is the role of, 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 you know, food, restaurants, hospitality and society? And for me, and this is what I think is quite important for any kind of, you know, restaurateur, I'm primarily a consumer and I honestly work so that I can earn enough so that I can eat out three times a week. I work, I live so that I can eat out. It means everything. It is, it's it's not just a source of employment on the high street. It's the source of life on the high street. You see what's happening to retail and how that's moving online. Hospitality will never do that. You know, there will have come a point post-pandemic or during pandemic where you were, you know, you're, you're eating curry in your pants on your sofa. <laughs> Those days are, in my view, kind of slightly over. We want to be out there, want to maybe put some clothes on and go and do eye contact with someone across a table. Um, so for me, it's the very pulse of the high street. Uh, what do, what then does that allow us to do for our communities? And that is all important for me because it's one thing to open a site and that's where your social responsibility is massive. You know, if you are a hub where people can meet, you know, just in terms of sustainability, the social sustainability, the way that you treat your people, them feeling nourished, but also the way that you treat your customers, your your guests. We are passionate about things like soul diners coming in. Come in on your own, plug in, spend all day with a book if you want to, and your dog. You know what I mean? It's about making, it's like that that lyric in the um, Red Hot Chili Peppers song, you know, where, you know, the city I live in is pretty much the only friend that you've got is the city that you live in. And those faces of our servers become the only, you know, for some people are the only smile they'll have in a day. So it's that kind of social sustainability as well, but also... Providing food that is healthy, you know, Mm. having a restaurant where you would want your 11-year-old and their friends to go and eat because it's good for them, because it serves cabbage, and it's possibly (laughs) the only cabbage you're ever going to get down a kid. It serves pulses, you know, I know you're passionate about pulses, because they are going to change the world. They are an incredible and an important thing, you know. It's really, really important that that sustainability stretches into the way that we treat our own humans our guests the way that we feed them that kind of thing that's just the social you know sustainability and then you look at what we can do you know we are massive purchases of supply so we look at responsible ways of procuring it's it's really important we can change we're a small rudder but we can change the way that that you know huge suppliers operate it's it's really important you know our energy our waste all of those but we what's really important as well and this is what it's so nice that you do podcasts like this is that we talk about it Mm. really important we're out there we've got tendrils into society we talk about it and charitable giving it 
everything. It's everything. What is the point? You know, I had another job that I could do that was about social responsibility. Yeah. You know, this is there's no better platform than through your restaurant to be able to have a house charity, you know, where even if it's just for your people to fundraise, just have a house charity. If it's a pound on the bill, that's amazing. But if not, just something so your people can come together and do sponsored walks, sponsored, you know, it brings them together three, four, five times a year. They get their picture in the local paper. They can show their nan and they're supporting hospices and and, um, local, you know, local cancer charities. It's an amazing thing. I love where you talk about, like, because I also believe the biggest opportunity is in up and downstream in our supply chain. We can do so much within that making better decisions, Mm -hmm. which doesn't mean it's going to cost the business. If it does cost the business, that's probably some fundamental other things wrong Mm. with the business. And that's right. And I think what would help is if we were all doing it. If we were all doing it and all putting pressure on the supply chain to be more responsible, it's better for all of us. Because what we can't do, it starts costing us too much and we're having to to pass that cost on. We've also got the responsibility of being reasonably priced to me. That is everything. It really, otherwise you won't be busy. I want it so that 15-year-olds can come in with their pocket money and eat well and listen to the doors and understand who Leonard Cohen was. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's really important. This is social responsibility, I can tell you. <laughs> but it's... It, so. So this is it. This is why we've all got to come at it together. And I think as an industry, we do. I think this is a great industry for that for that reason. You know, it seems like the hospitality sector council, you know, where we're talking directly to government and, mm. you know, and, you know, we have regular calls with government about this and how important, you know, the sustainability point and the emotional well-being point. And I think government realised how precious hospitality was as, an, as a, a national employer. Mm. Um, and, you know, it having that sort of pat on the back and us all coming together and thinking, right, how can we make this a really delicious place to work? I think we're all doing it together. I think hospital is a great place. There are very few that have got their heads stuck in the stand, I think. Yeah. But I tend to hang out with people that have got more than one restaurant. You, you know, but this is why podcasts like this are yeah. really important. So people coming into the industry are hearing how, you know, the the, the ones that have, you know, the, the sort of path beaters have managed. We, we could cock up, but we haven't so far. It has worked. Yeah. You can build in conscience. Um, what is it like if you can choose a, a, a pressing issue you would like to be solved in the industry? There's many in the moment. I'm mean, but like, is there one overarching one now that you also talk with government and you really would like to be solved and it would really be lifting the industry to the next level? Well, I tell you what, I I think has been um, a bit of a conundrum, and I think we have we have suffered with this, is the reputation of us as an employer. Mm. And this goes to everything. This goes to one of the reasons I didn't want to join hospitality is that, you know, how merciless kitchens can be, the brutality of hospitality in terms of hours, in terms of all of that, the laddishness, if I may say. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that... Um, the sort of boozy culture, the laddish. Would you want your kids to go and join that? You wouldn't. You'd maybe want them to do it for a gap year. So for me, that is a really pressing issue that we need to change. It, it's a it's a it's a dignified place of work. There is a nobility about hospitality. It's a place where careers can and should be forged. You know, as a as a GM or a head chef, you're earning more than a junior doctor at starting point. Why why would you not want to go and work there? You become the parent of a site. You become a role model like nothing else to thirty people under you. You know what I mean? So it's it's that kind of thing. I'm I think that it's really time for that sort of yes chef mentality to disappear. That that um, 
I'm going to use the word blokiness. I'm not. I'm not the kind of person that has a restaurant and say I'm having all men in the kitchen. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's not. It's not about that. I'm just talking about that old school way of doing things where it was about breaking people. That's got to stop. This is a, a place where you nurture people and they develop careers. You pay them well. You give them a good quality of life. You know, get your. You, you hear what's happening with GPs at the moment. Okay, we're in 2022, just for the marker, and it is July. And at the moment, I think it's only one in four GPs that is working at the moment. Mm. And that's the NHS. You know, it's it, we need the workplace to be somewhere where people feel fed. My brother's a doctor, and my yeah. entire whole family are doctors. And we were. To, he was comparing notes with me about how I make my people feel happy, and he was wondering how he makes his receptions feel. How can you do it? But there they're meeting people when they are at their saddest, at their mm. most in pain. They're meeting, meeting people at the worst point of their lives. It's very, very hard. Here we are in an industry meeting people at the highest point of their lives. You know what I mean? That energy that comes from our guests need to feed directly into our people who are not then absolutely knackered mm. at the end of their working life. They need to have a quality of life. This is my passion. So you can see that I'm ranting about it, but it's about well, building an environment where people well, would want to come and work. Yeah, because I guess it will solve a big part of the so-called staffing crisis we have now because it sounded like you didn't feel the staffing crisis like other than you talked about it on the last conversation three years ago. Yeah, the Brexit hasn't really impacted us. Mm -hmm. and, and now you say again, yeah, well, we don't have that challenge. Yeah. And that's the, the point, isn't it? So Brexit, two reasons. Brexit didn't impact us because of our percentage of, you know, European hires is low because we're not in London because mm. we're very, you know, we've, we've still only got one, possibly two sites coming up in London. It's not my priority. Um, so, so that's one reason that staffing hasn't hurt us. But also you do get a reputation. You know, many of these people that you will be interviewing or you're aware of have got great businesses. And those are the, well, you know, those are the people that will not have a problem recruiting because people would be queuing as they are, which is amazing. We're, we're recruiting for Bristol at the moment and we are in and absolutely inundated. For a southern site, that's quite extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Brighton. Brighton. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so it's, it's also really important to build your reputation to be somewhere that people will want to go and work. People want to go and work in Google because they've got a little false kitchen with you know, whatever, muesli bars in every drawer. <laughs> you know, it's just these little things. You've got to build a beautiful business and then get out there and talk about it so that people know they want to come and work for you, but also other people know how to also build a business that is totally uh, feeding the people that work there. And I guess also you are building not just employees, you are hopefully building people that's going to go and make change, change makers, potential business people, people from for the UN, as you said, yeah, by, yeah. by delivering that experience for for the people and that, I guess that's even as a founder is must be very rewarding if you could see that happen amazing do you know this is it and it is like parenting isn't it you want them to be better than you yeah and already they are they are my staff are far more charming than I could ever be they're far cooler but not only that because of what we're training them to do with sustainability and the charitable so if you work in Bowl Street in Liverpool your charity your house charity is a cancer hospital in Liverpool hmm. It's not just that you're giving money. You go round, you do tours, you meet the surgeons, you see the pieces of equipment. They they know more about those cancer hospitals than I ever will, my own staff. They know more about sustainability because we're getting them to go out and convert other businesses than I... They are better people than me. And if they go out and build a business, job done. My God, I'm, I'm in my twilight years. This is about building humans better than us, really. You know, and... and I feel spoilt because I've been given 700 of them. What do you do? It's not, you know, 
<laughs> build amazing humans or just give them facilities to be able to to grow to to, to you know grow themselves there has already been in this conversation we're coming to the end Nisha lots of great advice I always ask this advice still three years in but like what advice would you give to to leaders out there that want to build a business uh, as a force for good um, take your eye off the bit the starting point is look at your product is it something that you are an expert in honestly I think that is really important I think that's what gives something sustainability and it stops you feeling fragile so if you're brilliant at flea medicine for dogs and you're better than anyone else that you know build a flea medicine for dogs business and then you can take build it in a way that is totally totally conscionable and you can then start taking your eye off that bottom line and find a purpose find a purpose beyond flea medicine for dogs and and look at that and that's what will get you out of bed every day and that's what will stop this thing that you're about to embark on feeling like work ever mm. very interesting where vocation and product mm. meet in principle yeah. um is the one question you wish i've asked you today i didn't and what would you have answered My gosh, I should have should have known that you're gonna <laughs> ask that. Um, that that do, do you know what I I wish and I need to get my only because I don't think about it is when am I going to slow down? You know, mm. when am I going to retire? When what what is the end for me? Because it's something I think about all the time. Um, because I've got lots of friends who are in their 60s, 70s who are thinking about retiring and I can't, I don't know what that looks like or what that, you know, both my parents, you know, died in their jobs as doctors. <laughs> you know, we, we tend to work till we die. But I think I need to be cornered into that a little bit more thinking about, you know, what does succession look like? Mm. You know, is there a succession? What does that look like? What is my role going to be in Mowgli as she grows bigger and bigger and bigger? And I, mm. you know, am I going to be capable? So I got to really think about that. But right now it doesn't feel like work. But I think I'm going to have to start countenancing it at some point. I'm going to get, you know, to sixty, mm. seventy. What am I going to do? Mm. That kind of thing. So very it's, interesting. Yeah, just something that I have answer. to think about. Yeah. Very good. Thank you very much for sharing that and being uh, very honest with that. I think there's a lot of founders having that internal conversation mm. with themselves or their trusted advisor. Yeah. Where can people find out more about if they? by accident should know what Mowgli is and want to connect with you and maybe ask you some questions or anything if anything everything places. is on the website so if you yeah. go onto the Mowgli Street Food website you know me I've got an agent so I think her email might be on the website but you can certainly there's inquiries at Mowgli yeah. Street Food feedback at MowgliStreetFood.com you know the emails are all on there but that's what we do so I've got a comms department that just feels questions for me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um So it's very easy to do. It's very true. And do you know what the truth is? I'm on social media. That's it. I'm on social media about six times a day. So not six times. I post six times a day. I'm on social media constantly. So if you've got a question for Mowgli, you can ask it through social media. Great, great. Thank you so much, Nisha, for taking time out and come and share the journey and, and go a bit deeper in, in the purpose, the way you do people, your pillars and uh, where you're heading next. Where am I heading next? Yeah. I'm heading for lunch and I was literally, as you were saying that, and the reason I glazed over, because I was literally thinking, am I going to go sushi or am I going to go <laughs> Sichuan hot pot? And that, that was my dilemma, what am gonna, I going to do? She, I think she's going to go for the sushi. Yeah. <laughs> power, power and energy to, to you and the team and, and the journey ahead. That's so good of you. Thank you. Nice to speak to you again. That was so great, Nisha. Thank you so much for sharing your insights on how to build a company as a force for good. Now, you should ask yourself, what can I do to ensure 
our purpose is implementing in everything we do. And if you get this right, what would that actually mean for your results? If you want to learn more about Nisha and Mowgli, please tune in to our first conversation from 2019, episode 29, Enriched Lives with Mowgli's. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at bizsimply.com or the social at bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly at podcast at bizsimply.com. Thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer and editor for the Podcast Collective. I really appreciate that you're listening in. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels, which all can be done via the website, hospitalitymavericks.com. If you have any ideas or feedback for the show or thoughts, reach out via LinkedIn or via email at michael at hospitalitymavericks.com. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us, subscribe to the weekly newsletter Maverick Talk via hospitalitymavericks.com. I'm Michael Tingsen, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast Show. Be Maverick!